Hello everyone and welcome to the most robotic podcast in the world, House of Games. Today, in a traditional robotic fashion, I'm joined by my host, who never misses a podcast. One might think he's programmed to show up every week with zero emotions, Mr. Otto! <laughs> but, if one robot wasn't enough, let me introduce you to a glitchy, half-assed, somewhat broken robot, myself! Beep up, beep up, room! And a very special guest, Mr. Sputnik himself from Germany, Luca. But before any one of us start showing any signs of human emotions, let us enter this week's episode of House of Games. Welcome to House of Games and a brand new episode and we have a new guest, I think probably the first guest from Germany. So I think without further ado, I will as usual let our guests introduce themselves and uh, we'll uh, just take the conversation from there. So first of all, uh, Mr. Luca, please uh, tell us who are you and uh, what you do? Yeah, hello, my name is Luca. I'm here for Sikistan Studio out of the beautiful Freiburg in Prasco. In their, you can say it, like in the base of Protect the Black Birds, maybe somebody know that. And I take care about the business development of the studios. And I'd be very glad to be here today and talk a little bit about, about you, about the studio, about the new game, and maybe as well about the situation for games to use in gym. Cool. And uh, just uh, first of all, tell me about the studio a little bit of uh, when was it founded, how many people work there? Uh, some some of the the groundwork, so this. Yes, of course. Uh, so Sikistan Studio was founded uh, 2018. We was expanding out of a university project, but the most of our partners was together in school and at the end making like an Abschlussarbeit, it's like a final exam, and we was programming a game of it. Of course, it was a completely fail, and we start. To marketing that and it was not working but instead the idea was spread and our CEO and founder Philip was going to the university to study IT and found out the studio out of it and so we are creating like the year 2019 our first game it was a memoir it was a puzzle adventure in the style of the witness and it's you know still existing in the year 2023 and there are 13 people in the moment uh, where did you release that first game? Uh, we released it on Steam on the one side, and we ported uh, to Switch this year, oh, uh, wow. last year, and as well for mobile. And of course, depends at what date uh, this podcast is released. 
we also have a PlayStation version in the retail. On the Vita as well? Mm, cool. Yeah, and not on the Wii, but on the Sony. Sony PlayStation. Oh, okay. We have it in retail in Germany, in the dark region. I'm unsure if our publisher also bring it uh, in Europe, but yes, it's very clear. So in East Europe, we have our own game, the retail, and it was lovely to show anybody. Here, this is our work. Cool. Cool. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, nice. So you guys have some experience and, uh, releasing games. Yeah. That's uh, That's something. A little bit. I would say that the biggest major point is that we're still on the market and we try to get better and better. And so we hope this every game we bring out, we get a better job and the people have fun playing our games. Cool. And uh, tell me about uh, this uh, latest game, uh, a little bit about it. Maybe how did it start? It? What is it? Uh, what do you do in it? That sort of thing. Of course. So um, in the moment, since a few years, we're working on Moots. Moots is an action rocket shooter um, where you control an armored robot sent to destroy his fellow robots and being corrupted with synthetic emotions. So the major point of it is that every run is unique. You have an endless combination of weapon, weapons, fast-paced gameplay, and of course, it's visual a little bit exciting. So you have to you can choose between uh, four characters in the moment. which have its own special abilities, like a shield or as a rage mode, or can send love errors to the enemies. And so you need to fight against the robots in different stages. So for example, we have a proud stage where it's like in the medieval style, this medieval roboters have shields and stuff like that, different rage area that's an Part of an old retainer with the enemies, the team it's a damage and have everything you can do to get there. So every run, you need to run to stages, get different weapons, different combinations. And normally you don't have the same add-ins repeating. So it's like every run is different. I mean, maybe you enjoy the game and see it a little bit. So we have like a lot of different weapon add-ins and stuff to have. Mm. Um, I'm curious, uh, this game, the previous games, what did you say? It was a puzzle game. Yes, it was a puzzle adventure. Okay, so that's quite a leap or quite a different thing here. What really? made you go from that, from a puzzle adventure to a sort of roguelike shooter? Like, How, how does that work? It's they're quite different. Yes, it's a little better. I would say the thing with the puzzle adventure was that our founder had this idea years ago, and he's a little bit like a mathematic nerd and try to combine puzzles and also bring a little bit mathematics to, to younger people. So he created uh, the puzzle adventure. But um, after a while, we realized yes, puzzle adventure is a very nice game. And we can sell it over 30,000 times in 20 different countries. It's nice, but the mm. target market is very small. <laughs> so ah, um, we were thinking about making something new with a bigger audience and also something what we like and what we want to do instead of getting what so we can look like, getting on the double times. And yes. Okay. 
Okay, so the game so far, how long have you worked on it for and when do you plan to release it? Yes, um, so we're working around uh, three years, a little bit more than years on this game. Um, we are aiming to release the early access at, I can say, the mid Q2 of 2024. We're releasing uh, this month a prologue demo where people can try our game and can give us feedback because the community is very important for us to bring us back to the roots and help us creating a great game experience. And with everything is going after plan, we are planning to release the game around Q2 2025 on Steam, on PlayStation, Switch, Xbox, and maybe as well later as a mobile version. Hmm. How big cool. is the team? And also, do you port the games yourselves or is that going to be outsourced? We want to port it ourselves. So we port it on Switch service when we are, so we get a few experience with that. And uh, of course, we try, so we have to develop it around here and try to make it our own. We can say we are like, an, we can do everything in house, but of course, mm. probably we need some experience from experts to bring us a little bit on the track, but I believe in our team. So we're around uh, 30 people in the moment. So 30 we people. have 13. I'm very oh, sorry. 13, I would sorry. Love, love to be 30, but I believe this mm-hmm. takes maybe another <laughs> year or two before we're getting on 30. Cool, but 13 yeah. people, that's a lot. I mean, that's a big team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not, not a solely indie. Yes, we are in, in the studio officially here in Germany. I also need to say we are one of the biggest studios in South Germany. And our biggest competitor is, I don't know if you know, it's a Black Forest Gaming. Ever heard about it? No. Uh, no. It's an uh, Empraiser daughter with like 300 people plus. But I also think oh, they're wow. getting less people in the moment because we all know in gaming industry and it's the same price. So maybe soon we are bringing them there. <gasps> cool. Cool. But how is the... So 13 people, do you... On top of your head, do you know like how many programmers do you have? How many artists? And are they all full-time employees, or is it like freelancers and no, contractors? No, they're full-time employees. So we have uh, four people in the IT. We have around six people in the art department. Some in the QA and some students mixing together and try to find a way. Wow. So tell me about the idea for the game. What was sort of the inspiration? What made you do this specific game? And you have some sort of themes around it, a setting and so on. So is there anything that sort of got you to to those specific points or what's the, the inspiration? Oh, I only can speak a little bit myself at this point, but we all love the way of robots and mechanics. And we're all thinking that at one point we get in robots, so we all love this old science fiction movies. You get this robot as an assistant in reality life. And we're thinking a bit further that at one point it's possible that the humans are not in the Earth anymore. So maybe we're going abroad, or maybe we fuck up ourselves, but mm. robot will stay there. And we have just made a point that we say that the robots was alone here and after a decade of times 
the city like we miss our creators and what is special about our creators, what is special humans and all. And they say it's emotions. So because we are humans, because we have, we have emotions, we have love, we have hate, we have all of that. And we combine it. We can say that the robots want to try to be like humans. So they create emotions, get corrupted, then destroy the self. Mm. So this is a little bit the main plan behind our game. And we try to make a little bit of critics of society, of our own thinking, what's the way for the future, and this world's environment inside this game. Cool. And uh, as uh, we talked a little bit off camera, so we did actually get to play uh, a bit of uh, of the game in its uh, current state. Uh, so I'm thinking that we could just uh, perhaps go through that experience and uh, talk about how how it was to play it and then perhaps give some feedback if you're open to that. And uh... Of course. I always say I'm very happy about all posi- positive feedback what you give to me. I don't share it with the team. But when you give on some yeah. critic, I will share this with our team because I need to say what we need is this is not. This is this is we need to cool. make better because in the end this is start. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The feedback what we need. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So I think actually me and Rune is uh, sort of uh, different in the how we play games a little bit, but I think we'll get into that. But I think I'll just uh, start with uh, sort of uh, what you experience. Uh, if I, it's okay to share that, uh, what happens when you start a game and all the way through how long I played. Rune, do you want to start, by the way, uh, your experience of uh, just uh, give us the the rundown. What happened when you clicked start and then um, just take us on a journey from there? Uh, yeah, so I played it uh, today. Uh, spent maybe an hour-ish. So like I said before we started recording, I'm home alone with uh, uh, my son today, which makes it a bit harder to play as much as I wanted to. But the first thing that struck me was the start menu with all the, the sort of animations when you pull around with the, the mouse. That was very nice details. I loved that. And when you, for example, go down to quit game, it will be like red. The, the face of the robot goes red. And I was thinking now when you talked about emotions that this maybe has something to do with it. Uh, happy emotions and angry emotions and so on. But anyway, yeah, like uh, we talked about before, it's a roguelike type of game. Uh, the first thing that uh, I thought about when I started playing it was an old PlayStation 1 game called Future Cops LAPD, which is a fantastic game on the PlayStation 1 back in the day. And I, I didn't own the game, but I did play the demo over and over and over again. So it's almost kind of like top-down-ish shooting rob- uh, your robot with like a mech sort of with two legs walking around shooting stuff. Uh, and as I was playing this, like this, I thought like this is not the kind of games I usually play at all. But as I was playing it a, a little bit, I realized that this is that I did play a game called Dead Nation on the PlayStation 3. And I also platinum that game with my friend. So it's like a zombie game, but also sort of a top-down twin-stick shooter. So this is not really a twin-stick shooter. Or maybe it is if you play on console, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, roguelike, top-down-ish shooting. Uh, I did like, what I liked uh, was that, so I don't know if that has to do with the robot I picked, but like, you can't just shoot all the time. So you kind of have to aim and be a little bit more 
little bit more tactics when you when you kill the enemies, and then you always have to dash to avoid them and all that stuff to stay alive. So even though I didn't think I would get into this type of game at all, it did grow on me in only like 20-30 minutes, and I, I could totally see the sort of uh, how addicting it can be, and how what with the loot and how you go into these levels, shoot the enemies, kill the enemies, kill the boss, and you get a treasure in the end. And I like that detail. Like so. Uh, something tells me there's uh, what is it called uh, auto generated levels so I don't know if that is true or if it's uh, but the first boss was basically b- based on what what you choose so he will talk to you and based on what you choose there he will uh, get angry or not and that will sort of change the difficulty of the boss and I thought that was a cool touch uh, kicked his ass and then I won and after that we, we started recording Uh so I guess uh, that's from hitting the start button to the first boss. Uh, I did like that the game, like I don't know, you said it's been out in about one year. So I'm not sure how far it is in terms of the visuals, if it's going to get upgraded or something like that. But I did like the fact that it was uh, bright colors, not uh, dark Diab- Diablo stuff. Uh, those types of games, uh, when it is... This perspective and all that, I do think uh, these darker games tend to be not my cup of tea. So I did really appreciate the fact that it was bright colors and daytime. I'm sh- maybe there are night levels later on, but from what I played, I did enjoy that the daytime stuff, the bright colors, and uh, the the tactical elements in terms of dashing and avoiding bullets. Like I said, I was, might sound like a f- noob when I'm talking about it, but I don't play these games normally. So to me, this was, this was all new, basically. Uh, and one final thought I had before I hung, uh, stopped playing was that you guys are from Germany and there is this game called The Surge from Deck 13. So that's like a pl- yeah, uh, a platinum both those games, The Surge 1 and 2. And I even reached out to developers and said, these games are awesome. Uh, and they said, well... I hope you look forward. And they actually tweeted back and said, I hope you look forward to the next game. Uh, the next game is not the type of game I liked, but I do hope they go back to make The Surge 3. Point is, uh, those games also are, I mean, Soulsborne types of games, but in the day, it's brighter, daytime stuff. I love that. So I did really appreciate that with the uh, mods, that it was uh, bright and colorful. And I feel like from what we've talked so far, you're, you're emphasizing to have fun and I think that helps with that too, when it's uh, a little bit brighter and and brighter colors and so on. So I guess that's my uh, my take on the first 30, 40 minutes. Cool. Uh, I managed to play a little bit more actually, um, so I can give my feedback as well. But first of all, Rune, I think it's called moods and not mods, if I'm correct. Oh yeah, yes. you're right. You are you are correct. It's moods. <laughs> Yes. Ha! <laughs> Anyhow, um, so uh, yeah, uh, I'll uh, just give my uh, sort of uh, um, input on on my experience of playing it. So, first of all, as uh, Rune said, I really like that uh, there seems to be a, a lot of attention to detail. So the first thing that happens when you start up the game, you get to a start menu, and you have this little. It looks like a TV screen almost. Uh, that's uh, happy or sad or angry, depending on what kind of uh, 
option you hover over with your mouse. So happy if you are going to click play and angry if you're going to exit. And then options, I think, is supported or something. Yeah, something like that. So it's uh, sort of funny. So um, you start up the game and then there's this... uh, beautiful intro section uh, for the lore, I guess, mm. of the game, sort of uh, how we are where we are. So that's uh, really well made, made good voice acting, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, reminds me a little bit of uh, Wall-E, I guess. Ah, uh, yeah. This, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have, uh, so then you wake up as, if I remember correctly, you're just this uh, lone robot, which is sort of a humanoid shape. It's sort of a um i guess two legs something like that arms and whatever uh you walk around you do the tutorial there's uh it's a really responsive uh, controls as well i mm. think um so uh kudos on that uh you go through the the tutorial and then you get to the sort of main stage you get first of all i would say also the game looks a lot a lot like uh, there's some stuff here some references i wrote down so borderlands is what it reminds me of a lot the especially borderlands one the environment and stuff mm. uh, also the music and the sort of ambience is sort of like firefly if you guys have seen that very good can recommend it a lot uh, and then also there's a umeo based game called dust and neon that uh, got released on netflix actually that uh, it also reminds me a lot mm. of so uh very cool and uh so I get the sort of Western uh, setting for the game. So is that intentional or is it just supposed to be Scrapyard-esque? A little bit of both. So we want to show a little bit the Western style as well. Um, but I don't know if you recognize it, but you be on the back on the mech who is walking over the surface. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. big, big Scrapyard on his back where you start this again and... When you get more and more of the Indian currency, you're allowed to build shops up the down, so the scrap is getting less on the back. So you have really a base building concept as well. Um, yeah. That's, so it's getting cleaner over time. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so then at least you get to the sort of level select menu or whatever you call it. So you can upgrade some stuff there. You can choose class. Uh, and choosing class is uh, sort of like choosing a mood, I almost, is my feeling of it, at least. With the characters, uh, yeah. Is that in- yes, you can, you can choose yeah. your own characters before you start around as well, and as well at the level, um, choose, choose a disable, <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can, can see, you can switch around, and so you can plan how you run, because you have the stages, you can get weapons at the end, so new weapons or armor, but as well that you can heal the character. So when you play these games, you always have the problem to get enough heal. So you can plan a little bit, what yeah. did you get? Did you don't die again? Because we all know, what did you do with the best weapons and armor when you ended up at the end boss with 5 HP? It's hmm. not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. So you choose uh, different classes, and uh, those are have different colors. And also, the different classes is basically like imagine that you have either a uh, a gun that shoots uh, slowly but uh, does a lot of damage, or you have shoot a lot but it might be very spread out, or it might be uh, uh, you know it doesn't uh, damage that much. 
uh, sort of those kind of trade-offs is what I got from that uh, selection. I chose purple, a uh, nice color and a good weapon. Sort of a crossbow uh, thingy. Mm. Very uh, very Boba Fett-esque, I guess. Mm. Almost, if you've seen Star Wars. Uh, and how you get into the stage, which is uh, sort of very... I would say very lush, very, it's a really break, visual break from the level select screen. So it's very parky and it's very green and nice, good music. Um, and then I guess, uh, as Rune said, I assume it is randomly generated dungeon. So you get into one room and then you have like three doors or something from that room. And then you go to one of those, and then eventually you get to the exit of the level. So, uh, is it uh, randomly generated, all of it, or is it somehow determined? So, yes, it's random generated, um, but our art team and level designers fit us on it. So, it is random generated, but we make her, let's say, we adjust that they have major points, like doors and everything fits inside. But the rest is the random generator. So every time you start, it's a new game, it's a new level design. And the only thing what is repeating is that you start at the garden and then slowly getting forward to the castle itself. Right, right. And uh, the basic gameplay then is that you get into this level, you go into these different rooms, and then there are hostile robots you kill them and then eventually you get to the end of that level and then you progress until you get to the end boss and then you've completed that whole segment or level or what you call it uh, and that's uh, sort of the cycle at least that i got to play hmm. yes this is like our stage so i would say the one big point is you say it a little bit early in the beginning that you have the end bosses and you have to target off so it's really, yeah. we have specialized it that you need to read it. I mean, we know that most people didn't read it, but you can adjust it. So when you make the right answers, oh. the, for one example, the end boss says, oh, I don't call my extra NPCs as novelists. So it's a little bit easier. What you also can say is like you fuck them up and then he sends you uh, armor with a uh, Auto-tracking, auto-tracking miles to you, or with Frozen or Sharkstead. So it's getting very hard. So depends on what yeah. you're saying. It can be easier, boss, or it can get extremely hard. Only because you give the wrong answers and make him angry. So did you, how do I know, do, are there clues on what answer makes it easy, you said? Or... Um, we have an fact in the background, so we can read a little bit in our ah. storybook about it. But in the end, you need to try. It's a try and mm. error, of course, where you can say in the beginning, you will die a lot of times. Mm. Then you should cheat and get better, better. So I would say the major point, I always say it's like, you try, you die. Mm. You buy you at ends upwards in the base, so it's getting a little bit easier. And maybe at one point you get through until Zenbox. And then you say, okay, I get it with helping tools. I want to get it in the leader style. So mm. get rid of everything, try the first time, and not get it through the end. 
Mm. And every time I die, yeah. like I died once in the middle of the level. Um, do I keep the stuff for the next run? Like, like as I never played this type of game before, so or I can't quite think of anything I play like uh, this roguelike when you keep going into a dungeon. I did play Rogue. Is it called Rogue Knight? Maybe it's called a uh, 2D-ish game. Uh, I can't even remember if you kept the stuff after dying. But do you keep the stuff every time you die or do I have to start over every time? Um, no. So the major point in Roblox is that you die. <laughs> and then you die. And then you need to start new. So remake a little bit like a rogue light like, yeah? Mm. Which means that you have the space building aspect. So we have the three currencies. You have the currency for the run. We mm. can buy uh, new weapons at the shop, stuff like that. You have a currency, and two currencies on the top that you hold and you die. So when you kill a boss or making one of the scamming games, you get extra currency. And with this one, you can buy new NPCs in the base. You can upgrade the shops. You can buy permanent evidence, which means, which means like starting with level, starting with level two weapon instead of level one weapon, mm. stuff like that. So, but normally when you die, you die. And then you have a completely new run, new weapons, no new events, new possibilities, new gist. Mm. The This is such a noob question, but like, um, so when I get these upgrades and stuff, for example, when I kill the boss, I got to, I can choose one of three things. But uh, someone like me who never played this type of game, like none of it makes sense in terms of what it does to me. And, and I could sit there forever and think, uh, which one is best? What like? But I did notice the symbols themselves were quite helpful. Or, or I can at least imagine later on that I, I will get used to the symbols that I know is going to make my game play style, that that's going to suit my game play style i'm not sure if i'm having a question in the end of this i mean guess i'm just thinking out loud but uh but i did notice that like the so you have like the, you choose one of three things and there's a, a text down there it kind of reminds me of pokemon cards like uh, uh playing those as a kid in english so i didn't even understand what it said but eventually i i don't know it, i just understood stuff based on the pictures and i wonder if maybe I, there maybe here's a question like is there any the symbols for these upgrades and so on, are they they're all separated or are they just uh, how should I put it, like, are they sort of separated into different genres or is it just everything is random so you really have to read the text to know what's what you're doing or could you potentially play the game and just you know, sort of click on the, the upgrade that you know that you like if that makes sense yeah, so I would say in the beginning, it's always good to read mm. a little bit of text, but um, after time, we try to reduce our icons that you see. It's, a, it's a, for example, we have like a cargo writer, like ice one, mm. with the ice symbol. I believe people can look at it and see that. This is the same with lightning strikes, for example, or with mm. longer, longer ranges. Back. So there is a little bit of the thing that you can look at it and you see, okay, this can be make this and this and this. But uh, in the end, there are like millions of options, how you can get that, it's how you can combine them that you need to read them and over time you can recognize a little bit. So, but of course, everybody has this on, on style on how to make the run, everybody mm-hmm. is trying to make it very similar to that. 
sort of overcome a bit. Mm, cool. Exactly. So basically, you go through these sort of uh, levels. You do all the rooms, get to the end, so you can uh, teleport to the next uh, segment in that level, and then you do that until you get to the boss, and then you, as you said, you sort of get to input some emotion to the boss and then depending on that you get different difficulty levels uh, i was not as good as i hoped to be at the game so i always chose the one that was the least aggressive i suppose and then i think that made it easier for me which was very good um yeah it was very interesting and i noticed that there to me at least it seems to be a sort of an imbalance of the classes because I felt like the purple one was a lot easier than the other ones. So I tried with, I think, the standard one and then was it the blue one? Don't remember. But then I did the purple. But uh, the ones that are not the purple, they shoot uh, more frequently but very inaccurate and doesn't damage as much. So... Is it the intention to make some classes better, or is that just a balancing thing, or what's uh, your take on that? Uh, also, you're, you're a good player. This is the reason. You're so good that you really get the game, <laughs> get the job done. No, of course. In the end, it's a balanced version, and we are still adjusting a little bit. So you say it was a purple one, it's the crossbow, and yes, the crossbow making a yeah. lot of damage and the greater enemy. It is very yeah. good, but when you go to them, you have a problem again. Um, so every character has his own styles, and we have these different stages. So we're starting with the broad one, going over to the ritual, getting him to a third one, and so far. So every character has his own, or is, we can say, it, like a bonus on different stages. Not only because you get the First stage early doesn't mean that the second one is also like that. So let's go on. And so every right. character has plus points, plus points, and it's minus points. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting. And uh, I think the, the the purple one, at least at the the current build that I played, was uh, you could sort of like shoot from like one end of the screen to the other, uh, and then hit them in a single uh, point. Uh, basically, one shot and boom, then one enemy dead. Uh, that happens sometimes, at least. But I felt like the the other ones, uh, in terms of balancing, you had to get c- sort of close, not to miss, and then it took maybe 10 seconds to get one enemy, uh, which is why I chose the purple one. So that was a lot better, in my opinion, at least. But, uh, yeah. Yes, I mean, you playing a version is for early access, and only did you are now yeah, so good. I don't, I'm unsure if you <laughs> still good when you bring it up. All right, so here is the only frustration I had with the game when playing it. Uh, it's very nice and very polished, uh, but the only thing I think, but I, this is, might be something with me as a player rather than uh, the game itself. It might be a type of game that's uh, not suited for me as much. But So when you do fight the boss, when you get all the way to the end of it, uh, if you die during the boss fight, then you have to start over all from the beginning again with like nothing. So uh, that was sort of frustrating to me because 
in the beginning, I, it took maybe five tries for me to get the first boss the first time and sort of figuring out which class works and which weapons works and so on. And uh, that, I think, for me at least, is something that sort of takes me off a little bit. I think for me, it's sort of like uh, this uh, feeling of... Uh, uh, I guess maybe this is... Uh, if you're, you don't play the, the Souls games, maybe uh, you <laughs> are not the right target audience. I would love to hear your... Uh, opinion on that later Luca but I think for me it's sort of this uh, you want to feel like even though you die you sort of still have progressed in some way so that maybe you restart one dungeon earlier than the boss or something but going back to the level selection screen makes it sort of frustrating for me or it makes like the threshold of of rage quitting (laughs) very low I suppose so, uh, Luca, just tell us about uh, what's the, the target audience for in terms of difficulty. I mean, at the end, you want to make a perfect run. So you can play this yeah. game, you can get over it, and you can manage it. So maybe you can get it to the next stage, you can kill the bosses, you have a nice game, it's like fun, you can enjoy it's bad. This is like the one side, the casual side of the game. The other side is, of course, what is the best way, the fastest way that you can get to the bosses with most of the knife and armor and to get through of all of the stages in fast time. So when you repeat this game and play over and over, you know every enemy has his own benefits, but also his weakness, and you can play with it. And so at the end, you try to don't lose any life because, you know, hey, I get to the first five stages, it's the first level. There are still three levels back, so you need to get over it in over. So, of course, rich quitting can happen, and it can be also very hard when you die because of something very stupid, and you think, like, why did I do that? And then you need to play again. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Very nice. And uh, so what do you think for the the future? So you're releasing it during this year, as I understood it, during 2024. Yes, we're going in early access in Q2, so relatively soon. And yeah. Cool. Uh, what are your expectations for the release? So I don't think we've asked this of a guest before, but... So do you have anything where you, what you hope to achieve or how many copies you want to sell or whatever goal it might be? Do you have anything like this is, would be the ultimate release or this is what we want to, to do as a minimum or what's, uh, what's your thoughts there? Yes, of course. I mean, you already see this uh, wonder game in the last uh, week with uh, over 19 million sales copy on Steam. Of course, we want to have something like that as well, but a bit if you can ask every game developer, it says, like, of course, we want to have this. So in the end, um, it's always a question. So I say you need to be on the right time, it's the right product, and if people like it or not. So we hope this game can get an audience, people will enjoy it. But also, of course, it can be hidden on the Steam sales, like the other 50 games who get released every day and nobody hit about it. So I would say I hope we get an audience where people can say it's game, it's fun, we, lo- we like it. So this is what we want to have. How do you plan to get it from here into the hands of your customers, basically? Yes. Uh, so on the one side, I say we are a small indie studio. We have developers, we have art people. We don't have the budget to have an own social media 
company, uh, like a social media team might have it. So we do it a little bit from ourselves, making stuff for TikTok, Instagram, where we can get a photo or people can engage with us. On the other side, uh, we working together with uh, Irabit, with some publisher who released uh, Potato, if you know the skill in Beauty Bottle. So they are supporters as well with social media and making all of the marketing stuff. Because in the end, we are a games company, we want to do everything games and we don't want to spend all the time on TikTok, on Twitter, or now X and how this works. So we want to make games, not making the marketing stuff. There are people with a lot of expertise in marketing. So we are glad that we can give this point away to some people who have experience and qualified and we hope as well they are bringing our products to the market and can give them the right audience. Cool. And uh, what are the challenges, would you say, with getting it out there or anything you have basically take anything from programming all the way to just marketing or whatever it might be do you have anything that you think is like this is going to be a challenge for this game or something that might be to your disadvantage you want to hear this challenge of the game what are the challenges itself so i can uh so I guess the the game, the sort of uh, getting the game. So I guess the end goal here is just, you know, you want to be the new Minecraft or something. You want like 50 billion sales or something. So getting from where you are now to there, where wh- what is the challenges to getting there? <laughs> okay, so when we start, you have the idea. So you need to create a game design, you need to bring the people together and you need to create something out of their deal. The big thing is, sir, we are an independent studio. We don't have a big publisher in our bag who give us money and we can say, here, close the doors, get out in two years and some with more game. So we need to making services for industry, to making projects that we can develop this game. So we are we want to be a full grown game developer as well, but we need to pay the money. And when we have like two years development time, you can imagine it's two years without setting one copy. So we need to make so projects, extra jobs, you can pay our people and can develop our game. So I would say the biggest challenge is to stay here alive. <laughs> Don't lose your goal to making games. And as well, developing the company, developing the expertise of the people, the services we need to do because they bring the money, and as well, making the game. And at the end of it, we have a game where we say we stand behind of it. It's our goal. It's our vision. And it's our way to make it. And people like it or not. So this is the end. The big challenge. So I would say. So get the idea. Bring it on the computer, bring it to the people, and stay at the end bound of it and say, this is our game. If it's, a, it's like a Johnny, it's good. If we bring it against the wall, we can say, yes, it's awful. I mean, the first thing is worth growing over, over time. So we're trying to get more people. On the other side, we get this idea two years ago. We're all growing in two years. We have new inputs, new ideas, new ways how to handle it. So... I think we released a short while in video about it. Where was the game at the beginning? It's completely different right now. And we always adjust. So we have this construct where our game is, is the base. And the inner 
is changing over time. So it's growing and we adjust this and this where when the people or our team give feedback if we want to change so we do that. Yeah. And uh, tell us uh, sort of something also curious is, uh, about you in person. So what does a, a normal day working on this game look like for you? Uh, for me, <laughs> this is just is a good question. So because my job is that the people can make the game. So I need to say I make the business development. So I take care that the people have the time and getting the money to create the mm. game. So my job is bringing projects, have to talk with the publishers, having feedback with the team and bring forward our product. But the normal day in our team is sitting in this nice new uh, big shared office and the people talking with each other, having the morning, morning daily meeting, having a sprint meeting, having an exchange and creating our weekend. Yeah. Uh, but tell us more about that, because I think that's a perspective we don't get that much on this podcast. So business development. So tell us more about that. How is it to have like meetings with publishers, for example, or ensuring that everyone else can do their job, for example, uh, if you want? Uh, of course. So, of course, a meeting with publishers is where always very special, because it's a bad time for publishing itself. And I will say it's a bad time for you to scale. As well. So that you see that you just say a lot of people playing games, there are a lot of sales. But there's also a big competition on the market with the studios, but as well as the publishers. So in the end, you need to find somebody who says this game is fit in the portfolio. And as well, you need to say this is the right time for it, because it's always the they're always the public most publisher don't ever give the answer, or they say oh, this game, this doesn't fit in our market policy in the moment. Or maybe we have something similar. But in the end, I would say there's always the game they want to have. So when you have to write product to where the people says you want it, you believe it, this is always working. If not, you need to find find it, get to get them. And maybe something adjust to that, that I would say, when you're starting with an idea, bring it to the paper and go to a publisher. It's much easier to convince something from your idea than to have an early finished game. Because when you have a newly finished game, it's already done. And you need to find somebody who says, this is the way I want it. I would do it the same way. And then we said, but when you have the paper, the people says like, oh, yes, this idea is great, but you have a complete different understanding than I do. But to give me the money so we can find something all together, we can create it. So this this is obviously a funny point at the end. Um, yes. Interesting. Yeah, that's very cool because I've heard uh, actually the exact opposite from other people. So I've heard, I don't know if this depends on if you have made the game before, uh, that you have actually published before talking to a publisher or not. But what I've heard at least is that you should have sort of a completed game, uh, at least for your first time you try to get a game published with a publisher, because then you can prove that you can actually make it, and then you have some sort of track record and, and so on. But you're saying then to not have a finished game, but rather to do it earlier than that, so that the publisher can have their input to make it a game that they want to release, basically. I mean, I would say, of course, you have a track record, you already make games. But when you make a new game, 
than getting better Mr. ATU than Mr. Endgame. Because it's like, we all know, when you have a finished game and everybody loves it, they're back. So, of course. Yeah. Because everybody wants to have a product with the sales, but then it's especially why did you need a publisher when you already have a product and you have the expertise and have the audience while you need to publish it. On the other side, when you don't have it, you need to look for, for it because you always need something. You need to market need from that money to need all of little pieces that you are maybe not be able to do. And so it's a little bit problematic to find this one and to combine it as well. Yeah. Very interesting. So uh, if you would give your uh, sort of uh, five cents on uh, what is the, the, so I guess talking to a lot of uh, publisher and uh, I assume pitching the game, is there anything like if you can give tips to anyone like I want to talk to publisher and uh, make sure our game gets published? Is there anything you can think of that is like stuff to recommend, for example, that you should not do this or you should do that when talking to publisher, for example? I would say everyone has the same his own way to do that. But what I can recommend myself first, find the right person in the publisher and write them direct in email. The other thing is maybe he says not. Maybe he says this game is not fit. But he also says like maybe the next time. Your next product you can come to me. And the end, it's a question about the network that you have. That you have now. This is the right publisher from Rogue Light with other ones. This is the publisher of New Making, for example, a funding simulator. There are always these where people or publisher are working. And when you get in touch with everybody and know the names and send them a message and says, hey, how are you? What do you think about this? This is helps you a lot in the end because never you want, never want to be like uh, one month before releasing the game and says, oh, I don't have a publisher. I don't have the mar- money for marketing. What should I do? So this is what you always want to do. So start early, write to people, address to people, write in the mail. Don't write random emails to 100 publisher at once. Find publisher for the right area, write to people directly, and don't be sad when this says like, oh, this is not a fit right now. Maybe it's the right fit later. Maybe the next part. There's always the chance with somebody of the same idea like you, because you may be really smart and your game's unique. But this doesn't mean that not one of the thousands of other companies make a similar game. And then they bring it out and we just say like, oh, fuck, I have this game, they make the same one. So, or for example, I mean, there was a studio from Frankfurt this year, we're bringing out a return to role-playing game. At the same time, like, they so, And they're making millions of, of companies. So everybody says like, oh, we bring it out right now. At the same day, this is not good, but they make it. So it can be working. Also can be a problem with the end. So it's like, I would say it's like the look in the class Google and your magic ball says the future. I can see the future. Nobody can see the future. Nobody knows. Yeah. All right. I think we're approaching an hour here. So before we end the episode, Luca, uh, please uh, plug everything you want to know. Uh, you want our listeners to know everything uh, where you where we should send our listeners and uh, viewers, uh, promote anything and everything you would like. Uh, go. <laughs> okay. First of all, thank you very much uh, to be here. Um, yes, what we're going to address uh, to the listeners and to the people. I hope you're able to maybe enjoy your game and give us feedback to that. 
And when you're a gaming studio, I hope you can follow your dreams when you want to be your own game designer. Never stop your idea, ever try to bring it to the end. And for the rest, I wish you great to you and <laughs> in that next episode. Perfect. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a really interesting episode and I think uh, it's going to be a really good game when it comes out. Uh, I think it's really very polished and uh, feels like a finished product to me at least. So I really look forward to and wish you the best with the release. Uh, uh, beyond that, uh, thank you so much everyone for listening and uh, watching. Uh, please don't forget to send in a voicemail. You can send it in a robot voice and that will make me happy. Uh, then uh, what else? Um, leave some comments if there's anything you want to tell us. And uh, links to games and uh, also the, the game we're talking about today is in the description. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Great. Uh, yeah, see you next Wednesday. Have a good one, everyone. Bye.